Bob is one of the missionaries that we support. He and his wife, Jeannie, have moved from Phoenix, Arizona, where they spent, what, 30 years in ministry here? Yeah. Yeah. 30 years of ministry here in the valley. They have moved to Exeter, England. Yes. That is a unique spot on the earth, and I'll let him tell you a little more about that. Um, but thank you for being here today. Absolutely. It's, it's awesome. Tremendous. This church has supported us uh, the last four years in our journey there in the southwestern part of England. Exeter is about three hours by train southwest of London on the little spike that comes uh, there, uh, down in the southwest, uh, Devon and Cornwall are the two counties there. Believe it or not, they have surf on the north coast of Cornwall and, and Devon. It's uh, wetsuit surfing, by the way, because it's cold, but they have surfing championships there, of all things. So um, it has been just an amazing adventure. Um, after pastoring 30 years, I thought I had it all together, and the Lord takes you to a place where he just picks you apart and convinces you you have to start completely over and just see what happens and love people. I think the average size Calvary Chapel in the UK, there's about 40 of them, is about 50 people. And so... Uh, teaching the Word of God verse by verse, chapter by chapter, is kind of a unique thing these days in the UK. Uh, they used to do it a long time ago, but after all, um, this search for relevance and fitting in with the next generation and following up every program under the sun, the Word of God gets kind of pushed off to the side and uh, to hear Exeter pastors say, you know, how do you keep people there if you just teach the Bible? <laughs> you know, you just go, you're thinking, did I, did I really hear that? <laughs> but um, so there's a place for us. There's a place for us there. 2016 was a, a rough year, uh, the first half of the year. Um, I had some serious health issues, uh, many years kind of uh, symptoms going on with vertigo, about six bouts, and, and then uh, some people were unhappy with us in the church. Um, but, you know, after that low time, uh, the Lord just started bringing in people from random places, Dubai and Northern California, and, you know, all British citizens, and, and joining our church, and so it's, you know, we're climbing up out of that turbulence. So um, just thank you so much um, as a church for praying for us and for supporting us. It's been huge. And so here we go. What's on my heart to share with you this morning has to do with contentment. And I think everybody looks for contentment. We want to be content. We want to be satisfied. But we forget that true contentment can only be found in the Lord first. If you're looking for things, if you're looking for positions and possessions and even special people in your life, you're not going to find true contentment that God has for you. 
Solomon said in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, the eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. Anybody ever experienced that? You know, it's just, it's just how it is in this life. But for the believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, he has promised us a life different than life that can be gathered by things. And that's the life God wants to saturate our, our life with, if we'll let him. And so our text this morning is in Hebrews chapter 13. You might turn there, and we're going to be looking at only two verses, but we're going to be really digging into those verses because they hold such hope and promise if we buy into it. See, we can study the Bible and know all about it, and we can memorize chapters, we can memorize books of the Bible, and still miss the heart of God. Because it comes through surrender. It comes through sacrifice. It comes through brokenness. We want to get close to the Lord. New Year's resolutions. Oh, Lord, draw me close. Do you realize what you're saying? What you're setting yourself up for? It is worth it, but there's a cost. There's a cost of getting closer to the Lord, and I want to tell you what the cost is. How much is it? It's going to cost you your plans. It's going to cost you your dreams. It's going to cost you your goals. It's going to cost you your desires. Because you take all those, scoop them up in a basket, and you lay them at the foot of the cross, and you say, not my will, but what? Thine be done. It's easy to say. It's really, it really hurts going through it. It's called being pulled through a knothole. But you come out. You know, if you take steak and you put it through a, a, a meat grinder, it comes out hamburger. It's still steak, but it's so moldable. That's kind of like our life. You know, it hurts going through that crunch. But then we become so flexible. Sorry for the illustration. Uh, let's go ahead and start with a word of prayer. <laughs> Father God, we ask you to anoint the teaching of your word this morning. We've gathered here to hear from you. We don't want to just be part of an event. We want to hear from you. You know us. You know what's going on. You know our past, present, and future. And God, we ask that you would reason with us, minister to us from these verses, break through to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's take a look at these verses simply. Really, you can break them into two parts. One is an exhortation to contentment, and the second part is the expression of confidence. Verse 5. Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The first phrase of verse 5 is a problem. Let your conduct be without covetousness. 
You know, we have to see these verses in light of the context so far in chapter 13. And really what we're seeing are exhortations to let love flow out of our life as a believer. Hebrews is written to Hebrew Christians, believers in Jesus the Messiah. Verse 1 of chapter 13 says, let brotherly love continue. That's that uh, phileo. That's the uh, fond affection, friendship type love. Let it continue. There are things that block friendship when someone gets offended or, or people don't respond the way you thought they should have responded or they said something you, you know, kind of uh, offensive and, they, and so all of a sudden there's all this fighting going on even amongst Christians. But we have to let it continue. We, there's a choice involved to let. That means choice. I can harden my heart or I can, I can pursue and go forward. Let brotherly love continue within the body of Christ, within the congregation. You know, God puts difficult people in your life for a reason. It's not to punish you, but it's to shape you. It's called being in the rock tumbler. You know, and you can, you can say, God, I can't stand that person. Would you move them to another church? I've been in this rodeo long enough. I know how that goes. It's handy when there's lots of, you know, Calvary chapels in town. But here's the problem. You can pray them out, but four others will come. And so you might as well just deal with it. And God has placed them there to work on your heart because it's, it's not hard to love those who are lovable. It's a challenge to love those who are a bit offensive and raw. But God has called you to love unilaterally, not love because they're lovely. Let brotherly love continue as the exhortation. But then you go to verse 2. Do not forget to entertain strangers. For by so doing, some have unwittingly entertained angels. And this is a kind of an illustration back to what happened with Abraham when the Lord and two angels showed up at his tent back in the book of Genesis. And yet it must still go on today. And so you never know. We're not just to be a a separatist group where we only love the brethren. We're to love all people. God has called us to love all people. We're even to love our enemies. That makes it a whole nother level. And then there's verse 3. Remember the prisoners. And of course the context really is the brethren. Not just you know anybody that's incarcerated. But especially those who have been imprisoned for their faith. And by the way the persecution against Christians in these days. Is more than in any time in the history of the church. You know we don't see it so much here at all. But you know in the Middle East and in parts of Africa. And all uh, um, and um, in some of the southeast countries where um, you know, other religions are really coming against Christianity. Horrendous things being done. People losing their lives um, uh, so much. Remember them. Remember the prisoners as if chained with them. We're not to shut our heart off just because we're living in a comfortable uh, kind of a world. Since you yourselves are also in the body. When you're setting a nail to hang that special picture for your wife, 
and you take that one last hammer and your thumb happens to slip over it, I want to say that the whole body does not rejoice. The whole body goes into contortion and, and, and everything crouches around the thumb to protect it. I mean, isn't that interesting? You, <clears throat> you smack your thumb. Yeah, I, I, um, we have this big oak door um, where we live in, in Exeter. And it, takes, it really takes something to close it. And so, but, but the doorknob is real close to the, to the jam. And so, you know, the door wasn't closing and so on. I went slam, and my, and my little finger was inside the door. And, you know, the pain level goes up to here and then just spiking, you know, and you can't breathe. You just, and then you bend down and you're looking like a monkey, you know, as you're trying to... You deal with this, and, and you go, you know, and, and your wife goes, "What's wrong? What's wrong? What's wrong?" And you can't talk. <laughs> the whole body hurts. And then he goes into verse four: "Marriage is honorable among all." What's that got to do with prison? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> So sorry, that wasn't in my notes. Um, yeah. <laughs> Marriage is honorable and all, <clears throat> and the bed undefiled, but fornicators and adulterers God will judge. And you think, wait a minute. Okay, what's our context? Our context is love, faithfully loving. God has called us as believers to fidelity in our marital relationships. To stop looking around at someone else who could be better. Why am I in this situation? Oh, look at that there. I wish I, you know, and the wandering of the desire. No. Let your love show itself in your marriage. Be faithful in your marriage. Focus on what God has set before you because... God will chasten and deal with you if you go into uh, partners, you know, sleeping with partners. It's a big word in the UK, partners. Nobody ever says your spouse or your wife or your husband, your partner. Hormongers and adulterers, God will judge. And then, verse 5. Let your conduct be without covetousness. Is there a connection? Absolutely. The 10th commandment is, thou shalt not covet your neighbor's house, your neighbor's wife, your neighbor's servant, your neighbor's donkey, your neighbor's etc., etc. Because that's a problem in man. Because of sin. Man is never satisfied. The sin in our lives presses us for self-gratification on every level. Do you realize we are more wicked than we ever thought ourselves to be? But God is more loving than we could ever imagine. When he says, my mercies are new every morning, great is my faithfulness. 
It's because we need mercy. Let's take a look at this verse. Uh, Let your conduct be without covetousness. The word conduct is your manner of life, your everyday manner of life. There is a choice, again, let. And, And so there's a fight. The flesh fights against the spirit, the spirit against the flesh. Um, It's not like, okay, I've conquered it. No, it's kind of like eating a great, great dinner the night before and you wake up and you're hungry again. You you have to continually lay this at the altar, continually put a, a guard on that gate of your life. But it also mentions that it's possible. Not merely a choice, it's possible. Let your conduct, your manner of life be without covetousness. Now, the word covetousness in in the Greek means fond of silver. It's a compound word. But we have to look at it as more than just love of money. It's it's love of gratification, self-gratification. The very definition of covetousness is having or showing great desire to possess something, uh, typically something belonging to someone else. It can include the desire to acquire positions, possessions, places, privileges held by another. Sometimes our own ambition has covetousness as its foundation. And we can even covet people. That is, desiring another instead of our own spouse. I remember one pastor sharing in a counseling session with a married couple, and he had the husband... Um, in his office, and he's, uh, the husband said, you know, I've been really committing adultery with women um, just in the last three years. And the pastor goes, are you kidding me? He says, no. He says, really, every time we have relations, I think of some other lady. What's wrong? What's broken down? Covetousness. We can covet people. You know the Bible calls covetousness idolatry? In Colossians chapter 3, verse 5, Therefore put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry, because you are holding something higher than the Lord in your life. Paul the Apostle learned about contentment here. Be content with such things as you have. He says in Philippians 4.11, Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am, whether Arizona, New Mexico, no, whatever state I am, to be content. I've learned it. I've gone through the initiation. I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And the context there is I can endure. I can handle it through Christ. Not that he's the big visa card in the heavens that I can get anything I want, but I can endure. I can handle whatever life throws at me, whatever the devil tries to crush me with, through Christ, 
who gives me the strength. In the second part of verse 5, be content with such things as you have. You know, God has equipped us with tools to win. I can be content because the Bible says, be content (laughs) to the believer with such things as you have. God has supplied the tools to fulfill his word. He's given us the power of the Holy Spirit. He's given us the will to take that step of faith and the encouragement. He's given us his sure promises to, um, uh, that are to be hung on to right now. With such things as you have in the Greek has to do with one's current circumstances. Not just things, but the entire set of circumstances. And I want to tell you, it's really, really hard to, to buy into this when things are going so difficult. And you just want to run. You just want to bail. You go, I'll deal with it later. Man, and pastoring in Exeter. You know, there have been times I wanted just to bail. I said, I don't need this. I'm too old for this. You know, this is too hard. But then the Holy Spirit just faithfully says two words. Finish well. And then he comes along and says, so what's it going to look like? Let's just say you just ran. What are you going to tell everybody? How come you're back? Well, there was just this thing that, you know, kind of made me sad and I couldn't stand it. And it's like, are you kidding? What kind of witness is that? Finish well. It is not live fast, die young, make a good looking corpse. It's finish well. Contentment begins with God, not with things. Is God really in control over the events of our life, over the circumstances of our life? And sometimes we can say it, well, I'm just not sure. I don't like what it looks like right now. Wait a minute. Is he in control right now in the midst? Is he there in the midst of your circumstances? Well, yeah, I suppose I believe that. Well, do you really, do you own it? Well, I'm working on it. Wait a second. He's either there or he's not. Is he there? Why are you asking me these questions? You know, you want to divert. No, no, this is serious. Is he really there in the midst of your circumstances? Yes. Is that enough? No. And we're fighting. Because we're still trying to control. There's got to be that trust of the Lord. Maybe it's a timing issue. Maybe he cares. He does. Maybe he knows your situation. But there's a timing issue that has to be fulfilled before you get out of it. Maybe it's an issue where God just needs to break you because you're you're fighting so much. And, and nothing is going to change until there's just a peace in your heart where you're going, you know, God, if this is how it is for the rest of my life, as long as you're with me, I'm good. You know, um, uh, so many Muslims are seeing visions of Jesus in their dreams, um, and they're coming to Christ. Uh, it's just an amazing testimony. 
And you think, well, okay, if Jesus came to me and said, put his arm around me and said, look, I'm here with you. We're going to do this. Wouldn't that settle a lot of things? Well, he's given us his promise that he is with us. Just the very same thing. We're not looking for visions. We're not looking for apparitions. We're looking for his word. His word is solid. It's true. The, the third area in verse 5, for he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. This is a quote from Deuteronomy 31, verse 8. And the Lord, he is the one who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Do not fear nor be dismayed. Look closely at verse 5. I'm just going to read it again. Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For, which means the basis of this, for he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. What's fascinating that in the, in the Greek, this is a triple negative. I will not, I will not, I will not. I will not leave you. Isn't that our fear? We'll be left in the lurch without help. He's busy. He's got things to do. My situation isn't that important. I'm stuck. I will not. I will not. I will not leave you. But then forsaking is a whole other thing. That's abandonment. Have you ever experienced people abandoning you at the wrong time? Leaving you really um, high and dry, you might say. Being abandoned goes deeper than just being left. Jesus said, I will not, I will not, I will not abandon you. How on earth can we embrace that? By the help of the Holy Spirit and through brokenness. You've got to let go of your plans. You've got to let go of your dreams. A lot of talk about dreams these days. Oh, yeah, you've got to dream your dream. Hold on. Take your dream and set it at the foot of the cross because God knows what's best for you. Well, if I let that go, then who am I? Well, you're going to find out who you are if you let it go. We had to let go of our ministry situation two years ago. Two years ago, our um, sponsor had their license canceled, and, and um, we were already out of the country. We were here at a missions conference, and we were told all kinds of things. We were told, you can't get back in for a year. You're already deemed to have left the country. Your visa is null and void. We're going, shut up. <laughs> you can't say that. <laughs> No, it's true. No, no, that can't be. And then some all kinds of misinformation and all. And so we had a return ticket to go back. And so we just decided, you know what? And by the way, this wasn't immediate. This was like high drama in my wife and I for a while. I hate that. And finally, it's like, we just have to go back. Even after 10 hours of flying back, if they turn us back, there's another 10 hours back. Oh, man, it'd be terrible. But you know what? We have to try. We have to try. God hasn't brought us to this far just to stop. 
And so we, we got on the plane to go back to England. And what was really amazing is um, our elder in Exeter is a captain for British Airways, and he had the flight. And so he was flying the plane from Phoenix to Heathrow. And so uh, we, we made a deal. Um, he said, I tell you what, Bob, um, I usually get through faster than you will. So I'll be on the other side of passport control. And if I see, they'll take you off to the, to the build, you know, to, to the hole <laughs> to, to be dealt with. Then I'll go and tell the two churches that you're pastoring that you're not coming back. But if you get through, I'll drive you to Exeter. I went, okay, deal. So we're in the line. There's 24 passport control booths. I'm going, okay, God, you're good at this. You pick the one that we're supposed to go to. And you put me in the line just where you want us to be. I felt like we were smuggling Bibles into China. Because <laughs> it's the same process, by the way. And so we get up to the front. I'm going, okay, God, this is it. I don't know what's going to happen. I mean, you're just like, I'm, I'm just so out of control. So we go back to this one um, booth, give him our passport. He looks at it, puts it through the machine, flips to the visa, looks at it, stamps both, both of them, slides them back, not one word. And so what, we took the passports and we're just kind of walking in a daze. And Andy's back there going, yeah. <laughs> you know? Okay, well, at the end of the month, we renewed with a new sponsor, got a new three-year visa. Talk about, all oh, the vision's back. Three years, we're going to be just doing this. Six months later, our new sponsor gets their license canceled, and we're free agents again. We're in the NFL. Free agents. Okay, now what are we going to do? Well, Exeter became a sponsor, Calvary Chapel Exeter, and so we, we came under them. And so uh, we have one year left, and we can file for residency, um, and we get out of the visa situation. But uh, you know what? I have no idea what's going to happen, because it could all change. And when your life is caught between you know, those kinds of realities, um, it's really weird. It's, you're just in the middle. You're, you're okay, God. Here is where we are. This is what we have. It's all good. Whatever happens, you're in control. It's a deeper reality than we've ever had in our 47 years of being a Christian. Would I have signed up for this if I knew all this was going to happen? I'm not sure. I'm just glad it doesn't tell me everything that's going to happen. Amen. Okay, verse 6. Well, the, verse 5 was the exhortation to contentment. Verse 6 is the expression of confidence. If you buy into verse 5, then this will be the result. Verse 6. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what command do to me. Boldly. The, the word boldly means assurance and confidence. It does not mean arrogance. Arrogance is based in pride. But assurance and confidence 
is based upon the work of the Holy Spirit upon the heart when the promises of God, because you've seen them work again and again and again and again, and you just know that you know that you know. I love that little pocket, because we don't always stay in that pocket. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. Fear captivates you. Psalm 118 is where the quote comes from here. Uh, Psalm 118, verse 5, I called on the Lord in distress. The Lord answered me and set me in a broad place. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is for me among those who help me. Therefore, I shall see my desire on those who hate me. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. How we need those verses today. Fear is a debilitating thing. It can render our wisdom ineffective. Isn't that amazing? We can be so smart here and so dumb here. Fear can lock up common sense. We, st- we do things, we do stupid things based because fear has captivated us. Fear can so captivate us that we don't take any more steps forward. Now, some of you have had some terrible life situations, I'm sure. And you look at it and you've really failed. I mean, you have mega failed. And you think, why should I even bother to try to go forward? Because I'm sure I will fail again. Let me just say this. Do not let your past failures block your future fruitfulness in Jesus. Amen? Let me just say that again. Do not let your past failures block your future fruitfulness in Jesus. That's a decision. Yeah, but isn't God mad at me? Isn't he going to like work me the rest of my life? Well, there may be repercussions, but he'll be with you in the repercussions. He will be with you. Yes, you let him down. Yes, you let yourself down. Yes, you couldn't believe you did that. Okay, okay, it's done. It's been done. You can't change it. God knew it was going to happen before he, before he even called you. He knew you. And he knew that was going to happen. Nothing's a surprise to him. It's just a surprise to us. We are weaker than we think we are. Okay, done deal. Can I dare go forward? Can I dare take new steps of faith? And I'm telling you, in the Lord, yes. Because he's with you. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? People are not your enemy. Your supervisor is not your enemy. You can, I know some of you want to pray out your supervisor. I mean, you're just, you're just trying. Lord, just catch them because they're really, uh, you know, uh, they really don't like you, especially when they found out you were a Christian. It just, amp- it just brought it up to another level. And you're going, God bless them with another job. 
or get me out of there. Well, the Lord is with you there. And maybe how you respond into those attacks by the power of the Holy Spirit is a witness that needs to be made before you'll ever leave. Because you'll get treasure in heaven. God's just trying to make you rich in heaven. And so you just submit it and you own it. And you say, okay, God, as long as you're with me, as long, it's so hard, God, please just sweeten my heart. I just want to, I just want to say the worst things to them. I mean, keep my mouth shut. Keep my heart sweet. It's not people. I will not fear what man can do unto me. Yeah, but they could, they could cause me to lose my job and my family. And how am I going to... Listen, God's already there. God's already there. If that happens, he's got something else for you. Stop the fear of man. And fear the Lord. The Lord is my helper. I will not fear What can man do to me? The real issue is God wants me to be internally, internally free and eternally free from the evil that might come your way. It's being in the eye of the hurricane, but moving with the hurricane. Because the hurricane doesn't just stay in one place. It continually moves. And so the eye of the hurricane, where there's great peace, moves. And so that's why sometimes you can just go, I got this, I got this, I'm, I'm right there. And then the next morning, what happened? I'm being whipped around again. Well, it's moved. And so you have to move with it in faith. I know these are rough things for, you know, uh, starting off the year. I'm not telling you to you have to sell your house, sell your car, sell your clothes. I'm just saying, listen, let the Lord be the one who is your strength, who is your sufficiency. It's not wrong to have things, but it's wrong for things to have you. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for your word this morning. You are sufficient. You are powerful enough to deal with the likes of us. We ask for your mercy. We ask, Lord, that you'd make these things so true in our life so we can tell the world your promises are sure. And Father God, if there's any here today that have not yet surrendered their life to your son, Jesus, what hope there is for them in Jesus, what life, what peace, what forgiveness. Move on their hearts, Lord, by the Holy Spirit. Move on all of our hearts and bring to pass your desire your passion, your dream for us. In Jesus' name, amen.